Our GWIF guest today, Cheryl Heider, it always makes me smile when she calls me pink. And it's funny because she is actually wearing pink today. We talk all things fraud, pity rescue, internal bias, neuroscience, and lots more. This past week, one of my favorite podcasts, The Hidden Brain with Shankar Vedantam, did such a good job on how a good person can do bad things. You will be on the edge of your seat. I won't spoil it for you, but it is so good. And a shout out to Shannon Slaughter, who sent me a note telling me to be sure and listen. You guys are awesome. What else was happening in my content consumption? Of course, more of Bad Blood, the final chapter, and I can't wait for the verdict. Totally unsure of how it will go. It has been one year since my book was released, and what a year it has been. I'm not going to lie to you, it has been the hardest year of my life, and someday you will hear why. Did you listen to the swindled episode about the OBGYN? Lots of tweeting this week. You know how much I love Twitter. It offers so much, and there is no FOMO there. Let's get started with Cheryl's interview. Okay, I just had to throw that in there because we have the woman who calls me pink. And guess what she showed up today in? Would you show up in, Cheryl? Clothes? What color clothes? Oh, that, that part. Oh, pink. Great pink. <laughs> because we always channel pink on great women in fraud. I am wearing a kind of pinkish sweatshirt too here today. So, okay. Cheryl Hyder is here and she's going to give her sort of elevator speech, but we're, we are starting with the speed round Mac or PC. Oh, PC all the way. Mac is another word for apple. Apple is fruit. <laughs> That's so funny. Okay. Um, who makes better embezzlers men or women? Well, it depends. If you measure how well they do, well, none of them are any good if they get caught. So we can't really measure that. But men, in terms of if you're if you're measuring the volume that they embezzle before they get caught, women, if you're going to measure, you know, the the number of instances and how long it goes on. And I think you might know this from maybe our mutual colleague, David Weber. No, it's I knew it actually before I knew David, who's one of the brightest men on the planet. Yep. Just don't just don't tell him I said that. Um, it's, it's actually since, you know, the beginning of time, since I started reading up on that stuff in whatever year that was maybe 99, 2000, something like that. All the studies at that point had come back and said, men, 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 whatever. Not true. I love that. Okay. Um, who is a famous crook or cop that you would love to go out and have a beer or a glass of wine with, or maybe even a meal with? Hmm. A famous crook or cop. Crook or cop. <sighs> Good question. Never really thought about it that way. <laughs> I grew up and there was a mix of, you know, celebrity types in my life, just like, you know, ordinary lay folks. And to me, Famous is a relative term, too. I just don't really get impressed by that. So I can't oh, really. really think about it. Okay. Is there is there a crook that you that fascinates you that you'd like to just sit down and talk with them? They don't have, like, 
Maybe, you know what? I had a really interesting, um, Craig Stanlin, who was on episode 50 something, mm -hmm. um, he wanted, who spent time in federal prison. He, when I asked him that question, he said, I want to talk to the FBI agent who arrested me. He goes, unfortunately he has passed. So I mm -hmm. thought that was kind of an interesting question. Okay. All right. Well, I'll go on that, on that uh, pathway. And somebody like Donnie Brasco, Ooh. I'd like to, well, you know, that's not yeah. his real name. That's the, uh, his undercover name. Yes. I, for, I forget the agent's real name. I'd like to sit down with him because that's got to be the most harrowing experience in the world. You sneeze wrong, it's over. I mean, it, it's, it, it's insane. Something I would never do. I, no, not doing it. Yeah. So someone like that, I guess. And then last speed round question, what is the yes. best money you have ever spent personally or professionally, or maybe like the last really good purchase you made personally or professionally? Hmm. Well, as you alluded to right before we got rolling here, uh, I have an affinity for pit bulls. I would say one of the adoption fees that I paid for one of my two rescue pitties that. Because they bring so much to the table. It's, it's, it's crazy. Oh, I love that answer. I oh, think that you. might be my best answer ever. I truly think that might be my best answer ever. Sorry to all my other guests. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we have Cheryl Hyder here. And Cheryl, give us sort of your elevator speech, and then we're going to dig into it. My elevator speech. Okay. I'm Cheryl Hyder. Got out of college and whatever year that was. And I do financial investigations and uh, fraud examination and value businesses and all kinds of other crazy applications of accounting that in some way or another wind up in court or in front of a adjudicator of facts to help people make a decision. How's that? You, like that you can kind of tell from your accent that maybe you're from... Oh, that part? Yeah, so right now I'm in Northern Virginia, just outside of the circus in DC, and uh, originally from South Jersey, Philadelphia area, where I still have my favorite sports teams. No offense <laughs> to the DC teams, you're, you're my backups. <laughs> and, and so, um, okay, Cheryl was very, very organized. And she provided me with some really good information. And one of the things I want to talk about in um, one of the articles you sent is sort of the not reinventing yourself, but relocating yourself. Mm -hmm. And because in the fraud world, sometimes that happens. So do you want to talk about, I mean, I love some of the quotes that you have in this article with <laughs> just, you know, yeah. So how do you how do you just pick up and move? Well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. It's something I don't regret. No, really, it did. Um, you know, I was fairly successful in my career up in Philly, doing what I do now. Um, I've actually broadened my horizons since coming down here. You know, my career started out. I was just a regular old CPA, and you know, I was invited to join a firm that was getting involved in litigation support. Right. So the guys who trained me in what litigation support at the time was, okay, uh, were, you know, were FBI agents, or I'm not FBI, I'm sorry, 
IRS criminal investigators, <clears throat> excuse me. So they taught me their techniques, the mindset, et cetera, everything that went into it. And at that point, I'd say 90% or 80% of what we were doing was divorce related. So moved down here just for personal reasons. By the way, there's a ton of biking down here compared to up there. It's great. Um, and, you know, I didn't know anyone. So from that perspective, it wasn't really the best move networking wise, but I was able to start networking myself and so forth. And between then and now, you know, I've, I've built a network through getting involved in professional organizations that matter to me and some personal ones, you know, like rescue organizations for dogs, maybe even involving a specific breed of dog. But that being said, you know, you get involved where your passion is, you move forward and, you know, I'm doing a lot of the same work, just instead of it being mostly divorce, I'm, I'm probably doing about 50% divorce and 50% other types of financial litigation and or valuation, which is something I would not have done had I stayed up in Philly. I would not be testifying had I stayed up in Philly. Okay. So I don't know that it's really reinventing. I just, there was a boundary there that I had to get past and I wouldn't get past it as long as I was up there. I like that. Okay. Yeah, I absolutely like that. Okay. Um, uh, what's your hidden talent? <laughs> Besides pity rescue. Besides, I was going to go there. How'd you? <laughs> I don't know that I really have a hidden talent. That's uh, that's a great question. Does your I, I know? Was that? Does your like extended family and friends think you have a hidden talent? Oh, clearly they think I can piss any somebody off in a heartbeat. <laughs> so I, I don't know if that counts as a talent. It's something I try not to do, but sometimes it happens. I, I call it like it is. Is that a talent or is that just I have the courage of my convictions? You know, I had an attorney tell me I was too transparent and I was like, um, is that supposed to be bad? I, you know, I, and he's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, That's quite honest, pal. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I would tell him. Yeah, I know. So, so I know. The back, that Kelly goes back to the guys that trained me, Dan and Jim. Okay. They were very straightforward, no games being played. And, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. When I interview you, and I've even used this line in interviews. You know, there's nothing up my sleeve. You know exactly why I'm here. Just let's get it done. So my hidden, my hidden talent, did you call it talent? Yeah. My hidden talent maybe is transparency. We'll use that word. I like I that. will tell, you know, I've been raked over the coals personally and professionally for standing up to do the right thing. As recently as last week with something in my community. I'm like, yeah, no, that this is the issue. And people wanted to turn it political. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. That's not the issue. It doesn't even involve you. Why are you here? Anyway, does that count? That counts. Oh, I okay. think so. I think so. Um, that's, you know, I mean, whenever, whenever you tag me on like Twitter, or, hey, Pink, I just, I smile. It's just, it's a, it is a warm, warm uh, smile. So um, I think you kind of started saying this, and this is kind of, both the best resources that have helped you along the way resources slash people and you said two irs agents 
but mm -hmm. who else or what else has helped you get because you know you're at the top of top of the pile yeah i don't know about that depends on what the pile is right <laughs> uh but it's uh i would say the best resources number one trusted colleagues okay always seek out the people that you respect and that you trust because you're going to need to rely on them at some point. I put something up on LinkedIn recently. And, and you know, if you see some of the stuff I post, I stand behind every word. Okay. The one thing that I posted that I'm referring to right now is those of us who are here owe it to those who came before us and got us here to help along those who are coming. We have an obligation, in other words, to our profession to keep it moving. So you know, in answer to your question, my peers are a pretty valuable resource. It's something I don't take lightly, and, and they know I don't. And I think it's a mutual respect. But, you know, there's also the ability to understand how to do research. You know, I can't just pick up this book. Oh, look, it's your book. You can't just pick up a book and say, yep, there's the answer. I'm good and keep moving. You have to make sure that the answer to the question you're, you're you're seeking is, you know, contextually accurate and backed up by at least typically one or two sources. Yeah, it makes sense. It's the uh, the article I did recently uh, for NACVA spoke to, you know, I, I, some, a quote that I used from another author, Zach Myers. And Zach said, you know, it's not really the fact that you're complying with ethics that matter. And I'm very badly trying to quote him, just go with the concept. It doesn't matter that you comply with ethics. What matters is you get the right result. And on its own, that sentence is like going to stand you on your head. But what he meant was do the right thing. Yeah. So in the context of doing your research, do the right thing. I was um, listening to um, Bad Blood, The Final Frontier podcast mm -hmm. with John Kerry, the author. And um, it's about the investors. That's mm -hmm. <laughs> just like, I mean, I don't like to victim shame, but um, I'm sorry. <laughs> the stuff that they didn't do, like it, it's it, it's pretty shocking. Pretty, pretty darn shocking. Just because there was FOMO, you know? Oh, well, this really rich family is investing. So our really rich family should invest or our foundation. Didn't that just happen again? I, did, I haven't read a thing about the trial and I don't think it's done yet. No, they're, uh, it, they, it's getting sent to the jury next week, I believe. Right. I, I have intentionally not read because I'm going insane thinking about, yeah, the FOMO. I, the only thing I can liken it to is very much smaller scale. I had a guy pitch me once about windows for the house and he, he, his name was Patrick and he's a vice president. And he's got the authority, if I sign up today, to give me a 10% discount on the purchase and another 10% discount on the install. I said, so in other words, 10% off of something that's already inflated 50%, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, really? People go for that? That is so funny that you mentioned vice president because I have somewhat of a like thing about vice presidents. <laughs> I think it was from my father, but hmm. I've never been a vice president. 
And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm just, I skipped from worker bee to president, mean my own company. So, but I just have this thing about vice presidents and it's just, when I worked at Nike, my boss is like, oh my God, we have so many vice presidents here. So it's just kind of funny, but it's a little bit, I don't like to say triggering. It just is kind of like, I never got that, but really we skipped over it, so. Well, but here's the thing though, right? It's, and I have a really warped perspective on a lot of things and I'm okay with that, I, I own it. When someone is made a vice president, is it, are they being made a vice president because it inures certain benefit to them or because it makes them feel better about their position in the company? Is it because of their responsibilities or is it just a thing to have? Titles, titles are nothing. Okay. Talking to my rabbi a couple of years ago about some stuff and, um, you know, happened to be somebody in our congregation was having an issue with an inheritance, whatever. And we both came to the conclusion, you know, and he wanted to talk to me about it from perspective because of what I do, obviously. And we came to the conclusion that the right answer is it's just stuff. That's so funny. I just read a, 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 a like blog post about you can't pull a U-Haul to the funeral home. Well, you can. <laughs> well, look dumb, but you can do it. <laughs> Meaning, just don't buy all that, you know, it is just stuff. So, it, yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, um, my, my best friend's father passed away, gosh, in uh, 16, no, 14, 14, go with 14, not under oath. And he actually did it right. He and his wife did it right. Uh, when they passed, each of their kids got, I think, $15,000. The rest went to bills. So, $45,000 at the end of your years. The guy was 93 years old. Wow. I mean, he was an accountant. He planned like, it. Apparently he did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this kind of ties into that. What is one common myth about your slash our profession that you want to debunk? Okay. So I'm going to pull my soapbox back out. Give me a second. <laughs> yep. That's the soapbox. Okay, so forensic accountants are not a substitute for a bully pulpit. That is not what we do. We investigate facts, we explore theories, we answer questions like what the hell happened and how did that happen? We do not antagonize or terrorize opposing parties in litigation. I actually had a client tell me or, or, or tell in derivative litigation, she told the opposing attorney to a, a case that spawned out of the original matter that I was engaged for. She said, you know what? You're either going to settle this with me. And she's pointing her finger at this guy's face at the elevator, literally. And I was standing right there dying. She said, you're either going to settle this thing or I'm going to send Hyder after you and your client. And uh, I just looked at her and I said, I'm not engaged in that matter. She goes, oh, you will be. I said, not if I say no. So, yeah, yeah I mean, we're, we don't operate in that, in that environment, at least not, not, the, not the, the ones that are doing this for the right reasons. There are people out there who probably do, but oh, fortunately, yeah. oh, they're not my friends. Opinion. Yeah, it's my opinion. 
Yeah. Well, there's people who do that too, right? I don't do that. I've had, I have returned a little off, off topic, but I have returned retainers over that. I had one guy, um, fairly influential, uh, in international relations, sent me a retainer that was literally 10 times what I had asked for with the engagement letter, you know, with the signed engagement letter, with an initial packet of information that included his internal memo from his internal investigation. So I looked through what he sent, which didn't include obviously what I needed to see if I'm gonna you know, do something with an embezzlement allegation. I called him up and I'm like, hey guy, didn't send me anything I asked you for. You sent the wrong amount of the check and you sent me an internal memo. Looks like you don't really need my help. And he said, all you have to do is put that on your letterhead. I already did the work for you. Uh, my soapbox there too. Okay. You want to pull out your box? You want me up here? I got room up here. Come on over. (laughs) Yeah. So needless to say, I went to FedEx that afternoon, sent him back everything, cover letter. Good luck. I mean, yeah. I I had an attorney like, you know, send me a bunch of stuff. I call him up, I reviewed it. And he's like, so you're going to testify next week. And I'm like, oh no. And he's like, I heard you are an expert in this type of embezzlement. And I'm like, well, yeah, but like, you should be getting the best plea possible for your client because he's like, well, we'll just only ask you certain questions. And I'm like, well, there's this thing called the prosecution. And if they have a bit of a clue, they're going to know which questions to ask me. He got all huffy and in my face. And I was like, dude, I'm not for sale. I'm not giving you what you want. And if anything, the best thing you can do for your client is to tell her to take a plea. Like all they have to do is go on her social media and they can see where all the money went. It's not hard. (laughs) Yeah. So that's like clue number one. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. I want, you know what? Okay. So great women in fraud, but I love doing this because um, giving back to the community, which is so helpful, but, um, I want to hear your answer because I, you know, stalk you. How do you continue (laughs) to learn in order to stay on top of things in your field? Like what are some of the best classes, best books, people you follow, all that sort of stuff? Wow. Okay. So how much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Your top three choices. My top three choices. Um, well, I cheat now like everybody else because we're in a sound, soundbite society. So I check social media. I have a lot of folks that I follow both on LinkedIn and on Twitter, including you, my pink friend. And it's funny how our common links just keep growing, right? Um, so I, I find something there of interest. I read through an article, which usually takes me to another article. And then I look up and I'm like, oh, geez, I lost half the morning. Or I look up if it, if it starts at night and I'm like, oh, wow, it's 3 a.m. I got to get to sleep. So social media is great for finding the right stuff to read and then following up on it later. Um, I just completed a uh, continuing ed class from a chapter of the ACFE that is not Metro DC, which is where I'm out of, where I was president for a couple of years and on the board for a couple more. Um, that class was on 
internal control and uh, COSA and where it is now. And they started talking about internal bias. And they went through a few things that, you know, I want to follow up on. So they used a few terms I wasn't familiar with yet. And yes, your follow-up to your question, I'm going to jump ahead of you. Internal bias and just basically how the brain works are two of the areas where I have a whole lot of interest. And that's that pile of books that I mentioned to you. It's right over there. Um, most of them are in that area. It's how the brain works, that the biases involved in fraud or not, which by the way, there are. I was reading a study before I dialed in to, to talk to you today. And apparently it's been proven that there absolutely is a way to train people to leave their biases aside. So I look forward to learning a lot more about that. Oh, that's awesome. That is yeah. awesome. Um, so that's kind of went to my next question, which what are go. some of the things that you are researching right now? And I just told you. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, the, it's the neuroscience behind fraud is one area that I really want to dig into. Yeah. Uh, one of my friends, uh, Mike Gregory, he and I sit on the board of, of NACFA's uh, Ethics Oversight Board. And uh, Mike turned me on to this, the neuroscience behind fill in the blank, tying your shoes. And he's right. It's, it affects everything. So, so how does it affect what we do? Who's really doing it? Why are they doing it? Are people really that hardwired? And I don't know that answer yet. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, I'm too fresh in digging in. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I'm so interested in so many different areas. I, I need to like stop myself and just hone in on one at a time, but I can't decide which one to do first. Oh, I've got that problem too. I... <laughs> why we like each other. <laughs> now this question, see, again, I get to ask so many great questions because I don't know this. If you yeah. could work in a different job field, what would it be? Seriously, you don't know that answer? Well, I'm thinking it's like animal rescue. Yeah, but that's not a job. Well, that's it passion. can be. So it can be, but any good rescue, any reputable rescue isn't doing it for the money. They're doing it to save the 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 animal. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's for the passion behind it. Um, that being said, I've helped quite a few people at this one rescue. Uh, Mutt Love out in Fairfax uh, with their introductions. Somebody wants to adopt a dog, but they have a dog at home or they want to get along. You know, how do we do the introduction? Make sure everything works, blah, blah, blah. You know, help them with some basic training stuff. So, you know, I've helped some of my friends with that too. And so I guess the answer to your question is if I could come back in another life in a different job field, I'd be a dog trainer. Yeah, I wouldn't, or, or even they have a new field Right. I've owned dogs my whole life. At one point I had seven. Okay? Oh my God. Yeah. I don't think I could do that these days, <laughs> but anyway, um, I've had dogs my whole life. I never, ever heard of a dog behavioralist. And I'm so upset. One of the dogs that I fostered, you know, they'd asked me to foster this dog. She's, she's one of the, she's a pity came out of a farm in rural, I think North Carolina and poor Eva, I, I may have tweeted about her actually. Um, they wanted me to help her gain confidence by putting her in my pack with my two girls and let her see the way a house dog works and blah, blah, blah. Well, poor Eva 
became more possessive over me as the days went on. Oh yeah. Not less. So, you know, we had a behavioralist come in, you know, I, I have a couple of friends who were trainers. They tried working with her, had a behavioralist come in, a specialist behavioralist come in, the vet behavioralist, the whole bit. And they were like, they all said the same thing. She's, she's got to live it. She's got to go be a single dog somewhere. She is not for a family. The list of knots for her was really long. So I want to come back in my next life as a behavioralist or a trainer. I love that. That's awesome. That is, that is very, very awesome. Um, <laughs> I don't know about that, but it's no, I, I, she got I, away. I think that is very awesome. Yeah. Um, what are you binging? Like what right am I now? binging? Binging like Netflix or any, or did you, did you do like, I have a wide group of some people are like, I never TV. Other people are like, I watch a lot of TV or movies. Is there anything you're binging? Not really binging per se, but I will tell you that once in a while I have been known to turn on a Sopranos episode from HBO because they're, you know, and I did actually restart at series one, episode one. And I think I'm now up to season five. So I'm trying to slow down because I'm coming to the end. That was a COVID thing for my husband and I as we did um, the Sopranos. I had never really. Yeah. And I loved it. I really, really yeah. loved it. Yeah. It was so okay. good. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's so, so, I mean, I remember watching it. I think I was like four years old when it came out <laughs> and, uh, you believe me <laughs> and, uh, the, um, you know, watching it now, 20 years later, 30 years later, I'm like, Holy crap. I don't remember that. Am I allowed to say crap? Yes. I just said crap. Yeah. We're good. Okay. Good. Okay. We're good. So anyway, anything else like uh, you, Joe Irvin and I do the fraud in pop culture and oh my God, there is so much fraud in pop culture. Yeah. Oh, like, so, like the, uh, they have some real, you know, real uh, true crime shows. Yep. They take about five minutes though. They're 30 minutes, 60 minutes. And, I'm, <laughs> and I'm, usually in the opening, I write down to, to myself, this is going to be the key evidence, and this is going to be how it ends. I've been wrong twice. Oh my god! I'm not saying I'm smart. It's just you know they have to put a teaser out there to keep people watching. Well, of course, yeah, of course. Okay, so what what haven't I asked you that you think would be really good for the audience to take away from this today? Like challenges in the fraud. Challenge. Challenges and fraud. Well, let's see. The biggest challenge that I see right now is Bitcoin on a couple different levels. Not, not Bitcoin per se, but cyber currencies. Yes. Because, you know, it's, it's really difficult to track if it can be tracked. Now, that being said, allegedly it has so much value. I'm still waiting to find out what the value is based on. U.S. currency, Kelly, is based on what? Come on, you well, know this. <laughs> you want me to help you out with it? Gold I, standard, I right? Well, yeah, yeah. Right? Some people, yeah. Some yeah, people, some people say a wing and a prayer, but in theory, it's tied to the gold standard. Price yes, gold. or not. Yeah, something like that, right? Yeah. What's cyber currency founded on? What's behind it? 
besides a huge electric bill. Yeah. I've had right. so many people ask me recently about crypto mm -hmm. and I, I don't, and I, I mean, I listen to podcasts and I, I still, mm -hmm. I can't get it. I'm kind of getting to the point where it's like, maybe I should just like, you know, take 0.0001% of what I'm worth and put it in it just to like see it work. No. I, I'm talking about putting a hundred dollars in it just to see it work. You, so so you've, you're suffering from a case of FOMO, but fortunately it's not that right. bad, right? But, but right. again, I mean, I've attended as evaluator, I have attended conferences and they've had breakout sessions on, you know, understanding what this is all about. And I always ask that question. So, so what's behind it? What's the value? And the best answer I've gotten so far has been bunch of gobbledygook about supply and demand. And that's what drives the price up. And I'm like, right, but what's behind it? Somebody wants it and somebody has it. I'm like, okay, well, here's, here's my book. Again, it's your book, but here's a book. Somebody's going to want it. Should I sell it to them for more than whatever the heck, you know, give me a break guys. So anyway, one of the things that scares me about our profession is people start trading in crypto. It's hard to find if they want to, you know, it, it's going to be harder to track than, say, the museum pieces right. that people are buying. Or, for example, I'm going to sell you a piece of land at a greatly inflated price because you owe me money for this deal that we did on the side that we're not going to tell anyone about. Right. So which is that's all old stuff. Right. We know how to do that. We know how to find that. But this crypto, it's it's going to present a real challenge for us. Uh, you know, everybody. Not just you, me, or the other rock stars in the field that are, you know, not, not to say I'm a rock star, but, you know, not just the women in our field, but everybody in our field. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, we can't ignore yeah. it. We absolutely can't ignore it. So um, one last question. Do you have a favorite fraud story, fraud case <laughs> that, you, that you can kind of vaguely talk about? I mean, I know we don't have favorite children or favorite podcast guests, but sometimes we, some are better than others. I don't have a favorite dog either. They yeah. both think that, yeah, I have two and they both think they're my favorites. Yeah. Which, you know, which is why when I tweet out pictures of them at work, they're both like trying to get closer to me. Anyway, yeah. um, let's see. Probably in a case of karma biting you in the nose, talk about one of the marital dissolution cases um, Ooh, that yeah. I worked on. Well, it's, you know, the, the marital dissolution cases are fun because they're, they're personal, right? It's, you know, that's a separate soapbox. I'm keeping that in its place. So the story goes, husband owned a business. At the time, it was a novel idea for what he was doing. And he and his wife were separating because of the irreconcilable differences. Okay. So to value his business, business was going to come in at, you know, at the time. And I think this was 1995, maybe because I'm old. Um, you know, the business was going to come in $1995, I think somewhere around $4 million. She's like counting, counting her money already. Husband didn't want to give her 2 million or whatever the court would you know, probably give him or give her rather. So husband and his CPA 
decided to cook up a deal where husband sold the CPA the business for $400,000. All the paperwork was lined up. So now, as of the date of their separation, that business was valued at four, $400,000 instead of $4 million or whatever the hell the number was, right? So she, she was up in arms. She knew it was a scam. We knew it was a scam. You're laughing at me right now. <laughs> All the paperwork lined up. What are we going to do? Deal goes through. Can't, can't do anything. So Carmen knocked on the door a few years later because husband and wife had reconciled. Um, they got back together. And apparently, like three months after the divorce was finalized, he went back to his accountant and he said, hey, guy, you know, let's undo this transaction. He goes, what are you talking about? I bought that company. Fair <laughs> and square, baby. So. <laughs> yeah. Karma. I thought that was great. Yeah. I, I, well, kudos for you to do divorce work because I've done some and I don't like it. Um, no, it's, it's, it's different. It's different strokes, but at the same time, it's, it's also, and this is part of why I'm on my own. It's, it's also, you know, you feel like it's, a, it's an emotional thing for these people. Oh, you're yeah. sitting over here doing the numbers. You're not doing the hard part, which would be dividing up kids and all that. So, you know, you get to watch, you, you get to watch the difference being made. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, yeah. Maybe I just got a couple of bad clients. <laughs> Not that we have bad clients. Well, it, it depends. I mean, one of the things that I, I really believe in, sometimes I bite a hole through my tongue. These guys, girls, you know, they're going through probably the worst time of their life, being serious for a minute. And that brings out the worst in everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I try to remember that when people start doing what it is they do that, you know, normally would be offensive. And after I get off one of those calls, I just go for a bike ride, go to the gym, play with my dogs, take time to purge whatever that was from my mind. And just remember long-term that this is, this is them and this is, they're going through some stuff. Give them some grace. Yeah. We grace all need and empathy. That yes. is what Great Women in Fraud is all about. As I work on my empathy chapter for a book coming up. <laughs> oh, well, we'll talk offline. I got a, a great thing for you for that, um, to help you out Ooh, with that. Okay. Yeah. Well, so Cheryl, I can't Thank you enough for being on Great Women in Fraud. Everyone, you need to reach out to Cheryl. It will be in the show notes, her information. Follow her on Twitter to see cute, cute puppies, um, <laughs> among other things. But thank you again so much, Cheryl. I love this. Okay. I well, always a pleasure talking to you, Kelly. And she channeled the pink. <laughs> there you go. I hope you enjoyed Cheryl as much as I do. These podcasts are so hard to keep short because we could talk forever about all things fraud and so much more. Be sure to reach out to Cheryl on LinkedIn and Twitter. She provides great content regularly and is a true believer of sharing. She doesn't just shine a light on what she has done, but she highlights others and provides resources. The holidays are coming, but I've got some great episodes lined up to keep you going. Thank you again for time in your ears. It means so much.